Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with actress, author, recovery coach, and new mom, Jessica Landon. Thanks for being here with me, Jessica. Thank you for having me. So So excited. yeah, I'm excited too. And you have a really incredible story that, that I've just been reading bits and pieces of. And I, I know I want to hear about it. I know our listeners want to hear about it because I'm sure that um, we're all going to be able to connect with it and benefit from it. Um, so what was going on before you entered recovery and how did you actually end up getting sober? Well, it was a, l- a very long process. Um Let's see, I first, I went to my first rehab in the beginning of 2009, um, but my, my drinking, I mean, I was, be, I pretty much became an all day, everyday drinker from like 27 on. So it was like every night, you know, I was very functioning up until then, Okay. Um, could, could party and like hold it together. But then I was a pretty much like all day, every day you know, the 27, 24-7 vodka drinker from like 27 on. So went to my first rehab in 2009 because um, I was just, had become super dysfunctional. I couldn't, you know, I was just bruised everywhere, like dropping weight. My, my, my family really didn't know what to think because I held it, you know, it was a secret that I was pretty successful at keeping okay. at bay. Um, and um, so finally got honest with them because it was like they didn't know what put me in the hospital for what what they didn't know what was going on with my health and um so I opened up to my parents about it I detoxed in a hospital and then they they sent me to I I mean I couldn't stay sober I got out and started drinking so they went to my first rehab in 2009 and then from that point on over the course of like six years because I got sober my sobriety dates January 3rd 2014 so for like six years five six years it was just in and out of psych wards um, nine rehabs, uh, felony DUI in 2012, I hit a family of seven. And then wow. I, it was just like bottom after bottom in rapid succession. And I would always go from just physically being like, you know, looking put together to like literally missing teeth, homeless on the streets, like dreads in the hair f- overnight. It was insane. Wow. People like in the program would, they, I got the nickname Chucky because I looked like a, like a crackhead doll. I'm when, you know, when they would see me um, on the street. So, or just come out of it. But yeah. anyway, um, so I pretty much could not, I think I got like eight months in those one time I got eight months, but other than that, I couldn't get longer than, you know, a week 
And so uh, it had to get really, really bad. And my bottoms started happening um, and they just got worse and worse and worse. In 2013, I had a brain hemorrhage. I fell over the railing of this like stair, tall staircase drunk and uh, I didn't crack externally the skull, but I had a brain hemorrhage in the inner part of my brain and had to have, uh, they had to detox me. And then I was, I was, uh, having grandma seizures and, um, I was paralyzed on my left side. So they had to do emergency brain surgery. This was up in Napa. Um, and then I miraculously recovered from that head injury and was at my parents for about two months. I mean, I recovered quickly too. It was really a miracle. And then I came back to LA and I did it all over again and it got way worse. And I was homeless within just days of relapsing. Um, and then I met this guy, went, ended up in Linwood. I had all these, you know, cause I was on probation for the felony DUI. I was on, I had all these like, you know, public intoxications and all these things. So I had like a warrant out cause I didn't show up for court. So anyway, needless to say, got booked at Linwood. Um, was in jail for a month, which was traumatic in and of itself. Got couldn't wait to get out and drink. And I met this this guy, this vet street musician street musician that was like staying at this hoarder's apartment. He let me just stay there and basically drink myself to death. I got down to seventy eight pounds. I couldn't walk. I I was pretty much immobile for a month, over a month, um, just drinking all day every day. And I got because I wasn't getting up, I was urinating and defecating on myself and the acid from my urine burned holes in the bony parts of my, cause I was just laying on the floor getting bed sores. And so I got a blood staph infection. Uh, all my organs started to fail. Um, at nine, I, someone called 911, the ambulance came to get me and, um, went to Brotman and my BAC was 0.533. I was just, dying. I mean, I was almost dead. I needed two blood transfusions immediately. Um, I had a specialist for every organ and I was in ICU for two, over two weeks. And, uh, and I remember overhearing my dad say to my granddad, this was the first time I came to, and I heard him say, well, it looks like she's going to make it. And I just thought, what happened? What did I, did I really just do it all again? Am I back here? Like, it was just black. I mean, not blackout. I wasn't blacked out. I remember everything, but I was so numb that it just hit that first. It's such a terrible feeling when reality seeps in. I'm sure, you know, the knots in the stomach when, when, when it just hits you, everything Mm -hmm. you've done and the agony your parents have endured during all of it. Yeah. And I remember the doctor coming in. It was just the stupidest question to me when I was, you know, on my deathbed in ICU. And he's like, so do you want to be sober? Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, do you think I'd be in this position if I wanted to be sober? Yeah. Fuck no, I don't want to be sober. I wish I could live and drink 24-7. That's what I wish. But I can't. I had to choose. I was at a fork in the road. I had to choose life or drinking and death. So it was like, what am I going to do? And I wanted to, to, to live. Maybe, maybe it was only 1% more than I wanted to drink, but I did have the will to live Yeah. and I had to choose then. So, and you know what I think? Cause a lot of people ask like, well, what, 
what, why was that the shift, you know, other than it being, you know, death and a horrific bottom. Right. Yeah. But it yeah. was really a shift for me because it was such a painful, it's like the best way to describe it is the pain associated with my drinking finally became greater than the pleasure hmm. from drinking. Yeah, that makes sense. And that took so much, you know? And then it took a lot to recover physically. Like I didn't just like come out of the hospital and I was fine. I was still 80 pounds and very anemic. And so I was weak and it took a, and a very atrophied I mean, I was a stick. And so it took a long time to be able to walk regularly. I had neuropathy for a long time, pain in my ankles and couldn't walk very well for a really long time. So because it took so much effort to get my strength back and start getting physically healthy and feeling good, I think that really carved, it was beneficial to have that just the effort I had to put into it. It was like, I'm not going to just give this, I'm not going to throw in the towel easily, even though those yeah. first three months are so difficult. Mm -hmm. It took three months to get healthy. So that, that was to my benefit, to my advantage. You know what I mean? Just yeah. having that, that desperation in physical health. But anyway, so the first year I went to tons of recovery meetings. Um, you know, I had, I had the gratitude, which initially, you know, I always talk about how there is circumstantial gratitude and then there's long lasting gratitude that comes with daily practice. I had the circumstantial like gratitude coming out of jail and having a bed and right, being able right. to drink good, eat good food is like, okay, I'm so grateful for this, but it doesn't last. No. You know, you have to like really get a, a program going and, and practice gratitude. Well, to keep so, so I want to rewind real quick. I, one thing I want to yeah. ask you, you know, because you, you went, Gosh, I, I, I think you're just such an awesome example of what recovery is all about. I, you know, when we got connected, I, had, yeah. I had seen a little bit, like I said, little bits and pieces of your story. And as I started reading it more and more, and just, I think you're just such a good example. It's like when, when I see you now, and I'm sure when someone else sees you now, like on social media and stuff on Instagram, it's like, I'm reading this story and I'm like, this just does not match. Right. It's you like know? cognitive. Like right. what, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to uh, imagine all, it's just so, so incredible. But what I wanted to ask is, is you, you went in and out of all these institutions and, and rehabs and, and jail. And I, I'm thinking about, because I know many of us, including myself, you know, have this first moment where it's like, okay, things are not working out. Like I've, I've gone from kind of functional, like you described to you know, maybe I have an issue here. Some circumstances have, have forced me into this first rehab. Like what, what, what was it? What was going on internally when you went to that first rehab? When you went to that first rehab, like what was kind of going through your head? The, the reason I ask is, is because I think if some of us could kind of hear a little bit more about like that moment, yeah, maybe yeah, it would click a little bit sooner, right? Sooner, right. Good question. Well, I'll tell you, I was really in denial about the seriousness of it. I thought it was like, this was my perspective going in to my first rehab. Oh, you know, I overdid it with vodka is really what did it. What was the problem? I just okay. need to get back to, to white wine okay. and I'll okay. be okay. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like when you kind of get out of control with sugar, I thought I just needed to detox and then I can have one cookie, you know, like, you know. 
that's that's how I thought alcohol was. I didn't I wasn't taken into consideration that it's a it's a substance that hijacks the brain. It's a manifestation of dysfunctional brain chemistry. This isn't like, you know, oh, I need to do a detox, a cleanse, and then I'll be able to like moderate because my I'm not used to eating that much. It's not like that at all. The brain is rewired permanently because of what the abuse and the doing it. So, you know, drinking okay. every day. So yeah, I was definitely in denial and I thought, okay, vodka is the problem. I just got to get out. I'll do this. I'll treat this like a cleanse, like a retreat and I'll get healthy and I'll just go back to drinking moderately white wine. And it was great. That's my first re um, psych ward experience because I went from zero to a thousand and it was just insane. It was like, whoa. And my BAC would get so high that doctors would assume I was trying to drink myself to death. And my parents wow. would want wow. me to get locked up. So they'd say, you know, I was suicidal right. because right. they wanted me to, to be locked up. So yeah, I would get put in a 72 hour hold in the psych ward. Wow. Well, and okay. Then yeah, that's so I, I guess what you're saying in part is kind of what my experience was like you thought at the time it was just this specific substance and it's kind of just substances period. Right. Okay. Very exactly. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. And I think, you know, like obviously in, uh, you know, I think like in, in AA, like there's a story in the big book about like putting, you know, a little whiskey in the milk or like trying right. different, you know, just beer, just that, man, I tried all that stuff. Like I don't just none of exactly. that. I think, and I think we all kind of have to have that, that experience just to be proven like you cannot do this successfully. Exactly. Well, you know what? It was proven over and over again. And then this is where I took it. I tried to just drink Listerine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Listerine. That's and then so one time my too. own perfume. What? That's so dangerous too. Like oh, I hear a lot of horrible stories. Yes. It's so, it's so filled with chem chemicals oh my gosh i can't even believe how much listerine i've drinking and not died but yeah so listerine was like my drink of choice oh because i wanted also because i like made friends i didn't have friends in the real world anymore only friends in aa so i was like oh, well okay. i have to go to meetings i'll just drink listerine to go to meetings i couldn't wow. understand the concept that everybody was just happy in in meetings i didn't understand like how are you guys all just full of joy holding hands and praying and doing all this stuff, laughing at each other. Like what? I can't even, I, it, it, it was such a survival, such a deep seated survival thing for me, the way I viewed alcohol that, I mean, I had to drink Listerine to go to meetings for a while. So, I, so I'm trying to understand the, the timeline a little bit, it, like for, and for those that don't know your background, I mean, you were partying with people like Hugh Hefner, you were on television, you were in magazines. We're talking a lot about this internal battle going on, right? And it sounds like, again, you know, on the outside, at least for a while, like things looked great, but on the inside, the, this addiction, your addiction was kind of controlling things. Do you, I mean, how was all this working out? I, I mean, I know you said things just progressively got worse, but were you like going to events and just trying to hold things together or, and when did kind of all that start to go downhill? Like, yeah, uh, that's a good question. They, I, early on, I was, I was a pretty 
typical, I mean, I had signs of, I wanted to, to drink every night, um, but it was more moderately, but for party, in terms of partying, I was just like everyone else at that age. I mean, okay. it wasn't yet, there were definitely signs. And in high school I hid, I was a closet drinker and my mom found a trash bag full of little vodka bottles. So like I was definitely alcoholic happening, developing, but I, I seemed very normal on the surface and I could definitely function and hold it together at that age. And I was partying, yeah, with Hugh Hefner and, you know, Perfect Ten Magazine owners, like it was very glamorous looking, but, but I also saw, you know, I was pretty perceptive. I could see a lot of the girls around me were suffering internally the same way I was. I was going to ask you that, like you had to see other people kind of going through the same oh, yeah. thing around you. Okay. Yep. This glitz and glamour. I knew right away, like, oh, this there, everyone's trying to fill this hole and it mm. really doesn't work. Oh, okay. So this is actually mm. kind of a drug in and of itself. And you kind of sell your soul to the devil when you're kind of in that world. And then you have to medicate the shame that's killing you with something. Wow. So it's, it's a, it's kind of a spiritual warfare early on. I saw that like, wow, you're, it's just sucks the soul right out of you. And then there's this emptiness, this void, this vacuum that you just start filling and filling and it's obviously never enough and you keep going. And, and I thought I could kind of come out of that. Like, like a lot of binge drinkers in college do. I don't know. I don't understand it probably because yeah. they didn't do it all day, every day and rewire the brain that way. Um, but yeah, I, I thought I could come out of it and I didn't, I just kept drinking and then earlier and earlier and earlier I'd start drinking. And then eventually it became just 24 seven. Cause you know how, when you hit withdrawals, I mean, within just a couple hours, I'd start going, I couldn't sleep very long until I started, you know, my heart started, would start pounding. I'd start shaking violently. So I literally had to keep a water bottle, a water bottle full of vodka next to my bed and just pound it when I started hitting withdrawal. So it's, and then that's when it becomes hell and you can't live it with it or without it. And then you're just in, in hell. And I didn't know if there was years where I didn't know how the hell I was going to get out of it. Wow. I, I really, yeah, I really like how you said that it just got to a point to, gosh, it's so interesting. You know, like we use this term rock bottom a lot. I mean, how many rock bottoms did you experience, you know, that, and it's just such a crazy thing because you think like it can't get any worse than this until you wake up, like you said, in your experience in a hospital bed. And it's just like, how did it get this bad? Like, how did I let it go this far? Yeah. Go this far. Yeah. I, gosh, it's just crazy. But I like how you described it. I mean, I, and I think I can certainly relate. And I'm sure some of our listeners can that just the pain got so much worse than the benefit that you were right. or the pleasure you were getting what I was from. Using it. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So moving forward. So you recover, you say it takes about three months to recover physically. And, uh, you were, you said you were going to AA meetings. So did you stick with that? What did, what did your recovery kind of start to look like over, over those first, first few months or first years? You know, it morphed, it evolved as I evolved. And, um, and I think that 
that was important for me to sort of expand my toolbox rather than just stick with one, in one area. I wanted to, um, although, I mean, I love recovery meetings. There's to me, I, I think that was really the introduction for me, uh, to a spiritual path was like, wow, there's, there's something very magical and spiritual about being vulnerable and deeply seen by another human being. And I, and I do, you know, I think it was Mother Teresa said something like, you look deep enough into another human being, you see the face of God. And there's something about that. There really is. And I think that's where in AA, I really found that 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 seed where I was like, oh, there's something, there's something. I get in the flow with this consciousness, this source consciousness when I'm when I expose my demons and I'm connected to these other people that are brave enough to expose theirs and there's this magic happening. And, um, so I wanted more of that. And I, so I, uh, was introduced to a course in miracles. I read this book by Marianne Williamson called a return to love. And I loved it so much that I had to, get the book A Course in Miracles and I got in this like study group with other women that were not all um alcoholics or or uh people with substance use disorder but some of us were and it's really the print it's there's like a workbook so you there's a text and then a workbook that have similar steps a lot of the principles are similar to AA but it's a it's a lot it's a spiritual psychotherapeutic program that's like so it was, it deepened my spiritual path even more. And for me, that was really important because that's really what I hang on to. That's what's kept me. That's what I attribute to my sobriety now, other than, I mean, I definitely had that shift in, in perception. I also in A Course in Miracles was desperate for a shift in perception from body identification to spirit identification because the world I lived in, I was so, my value was based on how I looked. Mm. I was also abused sexually at a very young age. So that cognitive framing set me up for just a life of, of superficial hell, thinking that my body was my value when it's, it, it's nothing. It's the shell that encases my, you know, my spirit, my, and my heart and my mind. So I think that was a real um, game changer for me in my recovery. And, uh, and it's just been, I think as I evolve, it's just morphs along with me and I'm open to all paths of recovery. Yeah. I, I think that's awesome. Well, and so I want to ask, I mean, you go to some meetings and, and then you get into this book and you start doing the work there and you start getting more connected spiritually, which I want to ask you more about specifically in a second, but what were some of the, I, I know you had the physical recovery going on, but what were some of the other things that maybe you struggled with early on in recovery? You know, I have a lot of social anxiety. So I think having to learn how to cope with it without taking something was really hard for me. That was okay. like a, a milestone when I, when I, when I learned how to deal with that and walk through that rather than medicate it, um, that was huge. I still have, you know, with pregnancy, um, pregnancy hormones and postpartum, I didn't have depression, but I uh, definitely, my social anxiety has surfaced here and there. By no means has that gone away fully. Um, 
and what's difficult about that is I, I love people. Obviously I've said, I love connection. So that's the inner conflict within me is this desire desperately to connect and be seen by you, but have this anxiety, you know, that cripples me while I'm attempting to be connecting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of like just an ongoing battle having those two uh, desire issues. So um, there's that. And then I, what else? I, you know, my, my whole, uh, up until, let's see, the first, like, the first two years I was still struggling with eating, dis disordered eating. Okay. Um, so that was something that, that kind of surfaced pretty strongly. I think, you know, I've had a lot of things that is, you know, it's like, I'm sure you've heard the saying, you squeeze a balloon, the air goes somewhere else. I mean, that's really kind of how my, uh, my isms early on, I had a lot, there was disordered eating. I had a gambling problem. I had, uh, you know, the drinking, the binge shopping, like it was just, there were a lot of things I did in excess that I, and I had to learn uh, another way. And that's probably why I needed a spiritual solution too. It was, it was like, man, I, I am really flawed. I need to like seek another, you know, source of, I just need to be elevated out of my body. It was mm. so, I was such an animal. I was yeah. so like tapped, tuned in with my, my midbrain, my animal instincts, my reptilian brain. I was just constantly on this wheel of like more of this, of pleasure of, you know, instant gratification. It was like, fill me up, get me high, like make me feel good, make me comfortable what can I take to just make me comfortable? And, um, and the only thing that has done that is, is connecting with the source consciousness, Christ consciousness. That's the other way I get in the flow. When I, I used to describe alcohol, it was like, it wasn't just numbing for me. It was getting in the flow. It allowed me to get in. This isn't to glamorize. It's just to be very honest and vulnerable about what alcohol did for me personally. It got me in a zone that I quit. I, I, I quit. I quit thinking, self-editing, thinking about what you're thinking of me. I quit thinking in my head and I was able to just be and get and become one with whatever I was doing, whether it was performing. You know, I was, I was, uh, an improv. I was in a comedy group for many years and I would drink sometimes a bottle of vodka, fifth of vodka before going on stage, never messed up my lines, like always perfect performance. Cause my tolerance was so high. You know how we do it. We're like so uncanny with that shit. Um, but yeah, so it would help me just get out of my own way, get out of my head and, and, and go with and be in the flow, be in the zone. The, then I found, then obviously I quit working and I, I couldn't even function anymore. So yeah. I had to figure out another way. Well, spirituality is that way for me. When I become one with that thing, that elevated source consciousness, I get in the flow. I get in the zone when, whenever I'm speaking, if I go, you know, perform this, or if I do this or whatever it is, I can actually get out of my own way, get in the flow. And, and I feel it. I feel this like connectedness, this like one with, with a higher source, a higher being. And I just, I don't know. It's like, just, you're just in the pocket. I don't know how to explain it, but it's, um, yeah, no, I, I get that. I mean, I, and I think, and I've heard it described a lot of different ways, but it's really, we need something that's going to essentially, this is putting it really simply, but going to replace what alcohol and, and yeah. substances we're giving. Yep. Us. 
I mean, that's, that's yeah. the bottom line. And, and you kind of touched a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. That was me. Like, and, and that still right. is to some degree. And it's, you know, and some people might say, well, but now you're just addicted to this thing or you're just, and it's like, yeah, that, you know what, right. it's not killing me. I'm not bringing everyone's shit no. to the pawn shop so that I can go to the gym. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Uh, I, bringing I, you those natural neurochemicals are great. It's natural yeah. for to do it. Absolutely. And, and I like how you touched on, you know, when you said you saw other people trying to fill this hole and you said, you know, that you just saw like these, uh, you know, this addiction presenting itself in different forms. I mean, I remember exactly. early in recovery, like telling some of my buddies and they were just kind of laughing at me. I mean, they understood, but they thought it was almost funny. Like I got super addicted to buying sneakers. Like I had like millions of pairs of sneakers <laughs> and I would be up to the point where I would wake up in the middle of the night oh to my check God. eBay auctions to Shut buy up. sneakers. And it's like, oh you know, so it's like, it sounds like this stupid thing, but it's the same, it's that same behavior presenting itself different ways. Right. Yep. So you were just talking about the spirituality, uh, you know, part of all this and how important that is to you. And, and I get that. And I think whatever we call it, whatever it looks like, we, we all need that to, mm -hmm. to some degree, if someone's listening right now, and maybe they're kind of struggling with, with that part of things, like finding that connection that you're talking about, what, where would you suggest starting? Like, how, how would how would someone just get started in making some kind of spiritual connection do you feel like i mean i always recommend a course in miracles or actually i the, the best is is a return to love because it's a reflection on the course in miracles and it's it's um you know that's a good question i I was I was starving for it. So I think I just started praying on my knees because, you know, obviously it was, it was, I was desperate. I was, had this low bottom, of course that's subjective term, but, um, had this low bottom and I was desperate enough to just get on my knees and see what happens. I was, I wasn't raised in religion. I wasn't raised with any spiritual backbone. So, I was starving for something, some other way. And I just thought, I'm just going to start doing it and see how it goes. I'm just going to start praying. And if it's a placebo effect, if it's a psychological thing that happens, mm -hmm. well, I'll just go with it. But I really did start having a shift in how I saw other people. I would pray, you know, for to help give me new, new pair of eyes, see people differently. And things just started changing. And I started writing gratitude lists and it, I, I'm trying to think how I would, I would, you know. I think you're saying just try it. Just try something. Just try it. Yeah, yeah. just be open. Just even being open to it is mm. huge because I know a lot of people that aren't. But if you just try it like I did, because I wasn't, I was pretty, I was definitely agnostic. I won't say sure. atheist, but I was definitely agnostic. Yeah, same here, yeah. And I think just being open to it, it just, wow, something's there. I don't know what, but something is happening. Something cracked me open and seeped in and I wanted more of it. And it was just, it was, you know, it created a shift in perception. And that's really what's kept me sober. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, and I, I've said many times on this show, I've said so many times to people, even in recovery meetings to this day, like, I never thought I would be someone speaking about spirituality, saying I'm right. a spiritual person. Uh, right. Like I was the person that was totally talking shit about anyone that believed in anything, even though it was clearly helping them in their lives. Right. And um, my experience was like exactly yours. And I think I would agree with you. Like if someone's struggling with it, just try something. Yeah. Um, because for me, like I just heard, I heard and saw people in meetings that seem happy and they were talking about prayer. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it an honest shot for like the first yeah. time ever. Exactly. Like, like you're saying you did. And, and I did, and things did start to change. Like, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't deny it. Like it was harder for me to say, no, it doesn't exist or there isn't anything yeah. out there than just to say like, you know what? Fine. My life's improving. Like I'm just going to roll with it. Right. Right. Exactly. So, and people always ask me like, you know, I'll have friends like, well, what do you do? You know, or whatever. And I'll say, well, just, just, just try praying for it. Go into detail, have an authentic conversation with God, with whatever you want to call it. Just put it into the out there, into the universe, but be detailed and just really sincerely. Why I say detail is because usually that brings people to the present and really like, makes them sincere because they're, and, and something, I, but when I tell people that I feel like a lot of people kind of, they hear me, but they just think, nah, that, that won't work. Or yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? No, I get it. I mean, I was sitting, I, because I would be saying like, yeah, this lady's crazy. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, exactly. Me too. But, me. It, but it's a, it's, I don't know. It's such a weird thing because we're, again, I know your story now. And so, you know, I would still initially like things just hadn't gotten bad enough for me. I, I think they just, even though my bottom didn't look like your body, I think it does. It just, it, Oh yeah. It, we need to get to that point, you know? Exactly. And that looks that manifests outwardly differently, but it's the okay. same thing on the inside. The bottom is all the same on the inside whether you know you lost your house you just had to do whatever it is it looks the same bottom is different for everyone but and and everyone has a different tolerance to pain mm. i feel like you know what i mean so i had a very high tolerance i just kept going until i just couldn't take the pain anymore yeah. of it but so that's the other thing yeah. Um, but yeah well i think there's a big misconception out there too that that you have to get to this awful point Definitely you right. Know, that, like you have yeah. to, you have to lose your house. You 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 have to screw things up in your relationship. You have to lose the job. You have to go broke. You know that's exactly. Just... And you know what? Sometimes, like I remember, I'd hear a lot of people that that hadn't that were struggling with sobriety, but that really hadn't like you know they had a great life. They had everything together. They had a family. They hadn't lost anything. And I thought man, kudos, accolades to these people, because I could never, they have it way more difficult to get sober. How do you get sober when everything's going fine? Yeah. So that is, makes it even harder yeah. to remain. Yeah. People are, it's, it's huge to be able to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, by the way, congratulations on becoming a new mom. Thank you. 
Thank you. And I, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you and I were kind of talking about this, and, and hopefully we get some of these other ladies on the show, but I know you've teamed up with some other women through social media, and uh, I think you guys call yourselves the Sober Mom Squad, right? Yep, Sober Mom Squad. Love we started that. a Facebook group. It's already rolling, man. Women have joined. It's great awesome so what specific issues are are y'all trying to address like what what specific things do you think moms face in sobriety oh my gosh um, so yeah much. kind of fill me in because I, i'm not a mom so so fill me in here well first of all is i mean it's like going what if somebody told you you have to after a life of just being all you had was you to take care of to get sober for, to do, you know, you have this new life. And then suddenly you have a 24 seven job. You can't think about yourself or your needs or your anything, your desires, nothing. 24 seven, you have to be on alert. You have to be like constantly worrying and stressed about like keeping this other little human alive and fed. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable, like just how crazy you can go in the mind if you're not, you know, taking care of yourself, talking with other moms to tell you you're normal, it's okay, it gets better. Um, ha yeah, ha just not having any time to breathe, it's really hard and it's expected. It's like, oh, you're a mom, you got to do it. Like nobody else is going to do it. You, you now have this huge responsibility. I mean, the dad too, but it's, a, it's, it's in a different way. I mean, we're 24-7, dads yeah. get brave. You know what I mean? True. And and then it's also these the hormones. Oh my gosh, they're like they are like mind-altering substances when they're raging. Trust me. I mean, when the hormones, first of all, during pregnancy, I had pregnancy rage. So that was like, whoa, this is like gnarly. It would turn into the Hulk and want to kill someone. But um Well, I'm laughing to myself a little bit because my wife and I are expecting a, a baby girl in September. So I'm just waiting for her. I'm waiting to say, <laughs> so you're, you're scaring me with a uh, new person. Uh, life is on the line. Wife will turn into Hulk. I'm making a list here of things to expect. <laughs> Has she had any pregnancy rage? Not, no, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Well, I'm just I'll preparing prepare myself. You. Thank you. So wait, then how long, how far along is she? Yeah. So she's, uh, we just hit the 20 week mark. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So if yeah. you haven't had pregnancy rage yet, you might be in the clear. Okay. Uh, girl, I hear that boys are different. Um, I maybe because the testosterone oh, yeah. running through. That I don't know. But anyway, so yeah. And you also feel, um, there's, there's a loneliness that comes with motherhood. And I don't know if it's just because it's so exhausting and you're so, um, taking care of it and you start to feel just, I guess, kind of neglected and lonely and yeah. feel like you're, you know, going, you've lost yourself. I had a, a mourning period, grieving period of like the life I once knew and all I had were my dogs and me and I could do whatever I wanted at any given time. And I was independent and nobody depended on me and I could do what I wanted. And then suddenly, boom, it's all gone. So that's very normal though. And so you need these other women to say, oh, I went through that too. Oh, you're having problem problems with this, this worked for me. Mm. You know, it's, it's different. Sobriety looks different. You have different, 
different ways of being able to care, stay sober when you're a mom. Like, oh, you know, I just got the advice. You got to to get time to yourself. Wake up at five a.m. and get that hour before the babies and the and your significant other are awake. Wake up early to have that time to yourself, or else you will die. You will go crazy. Like you have to have that moment, those that time to just pray, do your meditation, whatever it is that you want to do. Read, you know, I used to read all the time and now I'm just like, literally all I think about is how to protect that baby. Yeah. Like constantly. And it's funny because that baby that on Netflix, there's this docu-series called Babies and they talk about how a mom's amygdala is like lit up after she gives birth. It's like constantly lit up. It's different. It's not in that, it's not that way with dads, but the woman is, is constantly in stress mode and hyper vigilant and constantly thinking about that, that child. It's just wow. nature. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting. So it sounds like a lot of really what you're offering or the, this group offers is a lot of clarity for moms mm-hmm. and just like, Hey, here's, um, I guess in, in a, and like a lot of recovery meetings do, but just specific to moms, like, Hey, here's what's, here's what's to, uh, what you should expect. Here's some things you can do, right. like get up early in the morning, make, uh, because it made a huge difference for me. Um, so that's, that's really awesome. Um, yeah. And I think that mental health is that aspect of the hormones affect your mental health. So I, th- and that's obviously affects sobriety. So I think that's, what's sort of unique to it is like, Hey, you got to keep, you got to stay sane, stay sober. Here's some, here's some thing guidelines, you know, that's tips. really awesome. That's really awesome. So I'm sure the moms are, are loving that. Uh, yes. and I'm sure the dads are loving that too. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> It's good for everyone. We can vent and get it off our chest. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you know, one thing that that clearly you've done is you've really embraced this idea of recovering out loud. And and so you wrote a book, as I mentioned earlier, Human on Fire, um, your social media, uh, your podcast, Real Talk 100. You've really you've really laid it all out there. And, and one thing I wanted to ask is like, what made you to decide to do that? Like, and, and why do you think it's important to do that? Why do you think it's important to, to share this experience that you've had? You know, for me personally, it was really a survival thing. I thought, you know what, the Hmm. only way I'm going to stay sober is I got to expose myself. I got to be out open and out there with it. So I'm accountable. So, because also, I feel like the way I look, I was so sick of hearing like, there's no way you could, you know, because of the way I look, I look like the whole, I, I, you know, I'm a responsible human being that could never look or do or be that, you know, debaucherous. But that juxtaposition, I think, was important to say, hey, look, I'm this you know, low life under the bridge alcoholic and, and the disease is that's who it affects too. Mm. It doesn't discriminate. Like they say it's, it affects all of us. And I, I also noticed that the people that were moving mountains in terms of stigma, in terms of eradicating stigma were people like Robert Downey who were, had a spiral in the public eye and then redeemed himself. I mean, talk about redemption. I mean, now he's on fire. People love him. And it's like, wow, you know, anyone can have any, and, and no matter how low you go, 
you can recover, if I can recover, anybody can recover. So it's, and it's always possible to turn your life around. So I think just kind of being that symbol for bringing hope to a situation that's so, you know, dark and so judged and so, so stigmatized and, and pigeonholed and people have this idea of what it looks like. And I thought, I felt obligated to show, hey, look at me and how bad I was. And I've recovered. So nobody, you know, have compassion for these people. And I also wanted to talk about how, how horrific show these like pictures that would let people see the hell that it is because people think, oh, you're an addict. You just, you just want to have fun and numb out and, and escape. And it's like, no, 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 this is hell on earth. Mm -hmm. There is no, no greater hell than being trapped in a, in a, mind being addicted and physically dependent on a drug that you know is killing you but that you can't physically get off you can't stop wanting it and knowing that you're emotionally injuring your family and and just the what you're doing to people and and then you have to you know so it's I wanted to show that agony as well and I thought I have to be open about this because staying quiet for me, remaining, you know, anonymous, which I, I definitely respect the anonymity factor of A, because it's not my business to tell someone else's story and vice versa. There's, that should always be respected because, you know, in business and sometimes, yeah, that I understand that. But for me and my personal, uh, my personal belief is, is that when you come out there, it's, it, it just, it has added so much to my recovery because I've invited so many others to, you know, share theirs and just the connection and the community, obviously, you know, the community on, on social media is incredible. Yeah. So supportive. And then, and then you are accountable. You're, it's like, whenever I've ever thought of, and I haven't really gone down the rabbit hole of like, oh, I should drink again. But if it ever pops up in my head, it's like, Oh, but I would disappoint all of the people I've connected with. Mm. I couldn't possibly do that. And then it's just like out of there. So that's the benefit of really being recover recovering out loud, you know? Yeah. No, you know, and I guess like I asked that question a lot and that's a great answer. I mean, I think I would have to, I would probably give a lot of the same answers myself. Um, number one, I think like, and you just reiterated it. It's number one this is giving me so much accountability, right? This is giving, exactly. you know, just, just telling people like, Hey, what's going on. But I also think you are really doing a service, you know, and, and like you said, and sharing those photos, you know, like my dad, for instance, like he just does not understand like any, like he smoked a joint one time, I think, like didn't like it. <laughs> Uh, you know, I said know. he like stopped drinking years ago because he just like he didn't. Okay, I think this is like describing this so well. He said he didn't like the feeling of being out of control, and I oh was like, God. Yeah, I liked the feeling of being, of being out, out of control, of control. <laughs> you know. But, but like you said, like those pictures that you share in your story, like a lot of people don't understand, like, hey, this is not you see it as partying and. I, what I'm experiencing is totally different Hell, and, right. yeah, than what you're seeing. Like I am suffering. You're seeing it as, Hey, I'm just having a good time, like ignoring responsibilities. And I'm seeing it as I have to do this today to like literally get out of bed. 
Exactly. And that's hell when you're trapped in that cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Now you, you just mentioned, and I did want to ask you about this because uh, I'm sure you've got some celebrity friends. You've definitely hung around celebrities in your time. You just mentioned, you know, Robert Downey Jr. There's more and more people are opening up, right? And, and sharing their experiences with addiction, including uh, some pretty big celebrities these days, as we hear more and more about. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the, the the stigma and the conversation surrounding addiction, do you think it's starting to change a little bit? And, and do you think maybe some of these bigger celebrities coming out and, and sharing their experience, do you think that's starting to change things in a positive stuff. light? Yes. I okay. mean, people, yeah, like Tom Hardy, Eva Mendes, mm. like that is helping so much people that are ignorant go, Oh, and they look up to these people and they hear, Oh, they're sober. Like they had a problem. They were crazy. And cause Tom Hardy's shared like pretty gnarly stories yeah. in interviews. So, um, even Bradley Cooper, like, yeah, a lot of yeah. people are talking openly about it. And I think that's helping a lot. Um, I think people are becoming a little bit more aware and educated on addiction and the manifestation of dysfunctional brain chemistry, because look at the opiate epidemic and that is no fault of anyone, but the pharmaceutical companies and people are realizing, oh, my granddad was hooked on opiates. He was a addict in a, as a a form of addiction right there. I mean, so as people are getting more and more afflicted in some way, they know someone they're realizing, oh, this takes all shapes and forms, really. It's just kind of a, a, a brain dysfunction. And it can happen to anyone. Hmm. Yeah. It can, really can happen to anyone, I believe, if you no, stay honest. That, that's true. I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, going back to my dad again, like he said, like, oh, I don't get this. Like he would ask me, because I was taking pain pills for a while, like, what is it? What does it feel like when you take, like, why do you like taking these pills? And then you know, we were talking like a few months later and he told me that at one point he was hooked on opiates, you know, like not Um, like he was doing the same things I was, but just like physically, physically, right. Hooked on him, you know? So it really, I mean, it really can. And obviously I was kind of taking things to a a different level, but um, yeah, I agree. And, And I think it's, it's interesting too, because being sober, I mean, I've said this many times recently, when you see you know, being talked about on TV or, or whatever, like it kind of is becoming like the cool thing almost. Uh, like my wife watches, uh, what is it? Vanderpump rules. Oh yeah. And you know, like there's all these people, there's all these people like on Bravo and all these TV shows and it's like, they're all getting sober. You know? Really? Yeah. So yeah. it's becoming the, see, I don't, I don't, I will. I didn't know Good that. That's pretty cool. Stay away from it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need it. You don't need it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no. So, I mean, it, it is interesting. And yeah, really big celebrities like, um, uh, gosh, yeah, you mentioned Bradley Cooper and. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Eminem. Like Eminem. Oh, yeah. People. Yeah, pretty, pretty awesome. So I, I, and I always like to ask that because I think the conversation is changing and Um, Because the truth is, is that I think, you know, if we really think about it, like everyone knows someone that's affected by it to some degree. Exactly. 
you know, whether it's someone I mean, in your even family the medical community, they're trying to change the verbiage around it. And I have different, I have kind of mixed thoughts about it. Like, mm -hmm. per, no, it's person with substance use disorder, not addict or alcoholic, but really it's like, is that because now like most of the people in the country have at one time, you know, been addicted to opiates. So now we have to make it a classier like verbiage. Right. I mean, what, what is this? Like it was okay before, but now that it's affected like so many people, we have to change. And I, I just feel like we need to change the, the cognitive, what it elicits in us shouldn't be negative to, to say an addict or alcoholic. It shouldn't be so negative. That yeah. should be the same. That should be interchangeable with, with person with substance use disorder. So rather yeah. than change the verbiage, we need to change the, you know, what it elicits in people, like how people feel about the terms. Very true. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I, I did want to ask you, you know, and you touched on it a little bit, but, um, and I know you're part of, you know, the sober mom group and, um, and there's some other things you do, but what are you continuing to do today? Like, what does your recovery look like today? Um, and, and what are some of the things that you continue to do to, to not just maintain, but kind of grow your, your recovery? What would you say? Well, I mean, I've really had to go back to basics with this quarantine stuff. Cause I mean, I feel like I've been quarantined since I gave birth November, November 16th. Um, so I really only, I never let, I mean, I, I really have been quarantined since then, but, um, I, I re I have reread a return to love. I mean, I still am. I pick it up like every night. I have been praying and writing gratitude lists and connecting. You know, that that mom squad meeting has been a, a game changer for me in this quarantine. It's been really, really helpful. Um, you know, family, like being able to come up here and, and be around. My, it makes me so, so much more grateful. Having to be away from everyone was like so miserable. And now that I'm kind of with everyone and my, my brother and his little girl um and everyone's healthy you know i'm just we're i'm just bathing in gratitude right now and i think uh yeah i guess just getting back to basics and prayer i has always been my my the backbone to my recovery is is my spiritual connection and really leaning leaning on that that's awesome yeah i've heard that so many times during all of this getting back to basics Mm -hmm. I know. Right. You but know, that looks different for everyone. It does. Back to basic like meetings for a lot of people. Yeah. Meditating, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But it is kind of getting back to, to basics for now. But yeah, I, I definitely think, um, you know, this, the spiritual part is, has really kept me sober. That's awesome. That's awesome. So before we wrap up, Jessica, what is one piece of advice uh, that maybe you'd like to share with the sober nation? It's always possible to recover. It's always possible to return to turn your life around. And um, what would I say? I think I think vulnerability, I think, is so important to really, truly recover. I think um, being vulnerable and and open and trying new things, being open to spirituality, being open to telling your story to people, not just like in recovery, but just kind of really opening up, opening yourself up. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome advice. And 
And I think again, you know, just the fact that you have opened yourself up um, has, I'm sure it's helped so many people. And I really like how you just said, open yourself up uh, if you're willing to the people that aren't in recovery, because, you know, at some point, someone might, they, you know, how do people know where to go? If, if everyone is anonymous. Right, exactly. That's so true. You know, and, and I I might not have found recovery. And, you know, if it, if it was for everyone just being secretive about it, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's really, that's really awesome advice. So uh, you can connect with Jessica and learn more about her recovery coaching, her book, her podcast. Uh, You can follow her on Instagram at JessicaLandon12 or by visiting her website, humanonfire.com. Thanks again for coming on with me today, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.